Bills are paid every month. I'm able to buy the things that I need. I've always paid for my own clothes. I love clothes, and I love to go shopping. It can become an addiction. Attention is focused on me. You know, the way I look, how thin you are, and my own insecurities. I tend to go overboard. If I don't get that workout in, if I eat too much, I failed for that day. It makes me so frustrated. I'll be feeling really bad about myself. Instead of going and praying about it, I go shopping. It just makes you feel better whenever you buy something that will make you look pretty. I'm an impulse buyer as far as what's on the sale rack. I don't buy anything that's not on sale, but I justify it somehow. Money. Money is, is uh, and um, I mean, I struggle with it. Nine times out of ten, you know, drive away from the store just shaking my head going, what did I just do? I don't need this. Just regret the purchase is so materialistic and whatever. It's a big deal. You know, I've always thought of myself as a bargain shopper and somebody who is pretty wise with their buys. But, you know, when you've got ten shirts that were under $20 that you don't wear but maybe once a month, it's silly. It's hard to not get caught up in that. Suppose you were lost in the middle of the ocean, and for some reason you decided you wanted to gather some sharks to keep you company. How would you do it? A little bit of blood, chum, you know, if you had some pieces of fish, you wouldn't take much, right? And before long, you would have more company than you know what to do with. And when they arrive, when this company arrives, what do sharks do? They eat everything in sight, right? Now, based on what you know about sharks, if you feed them one time, will that fully and finally satisfy their appetite? No? I thought it would. I thought sharks would suddenly become content and then maybe turn into vegetarians because their thirst for blood would have been quenched this one time. They were finally and fully satisfied, right? Isn't that what happens? No. Hmm. Well, I guess they won't change because an appetite will never be fully and finally satisfied in this lifetime. What happens to your appetite when you feed it? For a time, you feel satisfied, but do you quit eating forever? No. Um, It might get temporary satisfaction, but not permanent satisfaction. And if you feed your appetite too much, what happens to your appetite? Your appetite grows, right? So... Many of us do the same thing as this girl we watched on the video when it comes to stuff. We have credit and we don't like the things that we currently own, so we go on this kind of feeding frenzy, this buying binge. And before we know it, we've, uh, we're greater into debt and we have all this credit uh, card stuff maxed out and we feel all of this pressure. Well, today we're going to talk about how to get out of that. But let's, let's first define a couple of terms. First of all, let's define discontentment. Discontentment is an appetite that is never fully or finally satisfied. Let me give you some examples. How many of you, and this is okay if you do or if you don't, we'll give you both an opportunity. How many of you presently like the car that you are driving right now? You like your car. How many of you don't like the car that you are presently driving? Okay. Now, those of you who who like your cars, don't the salespeople know that you're satisfied? 
Don't they know that, that you are perfectly content with what you have? Yes, they know that. Why do you think they want you to take a test drive? Because they know if they can get you into something newer, better, more horsepower, something that flies down the road, you'll begin to compare that to yours and all of a sudden this discontentment feeling will invade your life. And, and all of those gadgets and all of that new car smell, that makes your driving experience so much better, doesn't it? Right? How many of you are satisfied with your current cell phone? How many of you aren't? Those of you who are, wait a few months. It's, it's, it's going to happen. Why do they keep coming out with more and cooler cell phones? How many of you are, are happy with your current either laptop or tablet or desktop computer? You're currently happy. Ten days. Ten days max. And, and you'll be over that. Because something will happen. Newer stuff comes out. It's faster. It's better. And, and really, when you take your computer out of the box, it's, it's pretty much um, <laughs> become obsolete as soon as you walk out of the store with that thing. And we're bombarded with these messages that say, wear me, buy me, drink me, drive me, put me in your hair. And I will shower you with wonderful relationships, right? That's what advertisement does. It's supposed to feed this discontentment. And so they know if you're dissatisfied with your current situation, you're more likely to buy something new. And if discontentment is an appetite, retailers know they must feed that appetite so that the business can be profitable. Now, there's a myth out there that if you feed an appetite, it will be satisfied. Let me ask you some questions about that. When you were a teenager, especially guys, the sex drive becomes pretty strong. And, and you think this stuff. You think, if I could only have sex one time, I would be satisfied. Those of you who have experienced sex, is that true? Does the appetite for sex go away just because you've had sex one time? No. In fact, it gets greater. How about eating ice cream? Does eating ice cream one time finally and fully satisfy your desire for Bluebell? And by the way, there is nothing else besides Bluebell. I've tried other stuff. It's not ice cream. I don't know what it is. But I have no desire for that other stuff after testing, tasting Bluebell. Right, Jared? With alcohol, does, does drinking alcohol one time satisfy your thirst for alcohol? Some of you, yes, because that stuff tastes nasty. Drugs, gambling... Well, here's the second point. Any appetite that you feed grows. In America, especially, this is true. We have all of these growing appetites. We have alcohol addiction, drug addiction, gambling addiction, sex addiction, and consumer addiction, which is really discontentment. We're, we're addicted to being discontent. So if, if discontentment is this um, appetite, and if I feed it, it grows, what hope do I have? Well... Amazingly, God has some things to say in his, in his word about contentment. 1 Timothy 6, 6-8. Yet true religion with contentment is great wealth. After all, we didn't bring anything with us when we came into the world, and we certainly cannot carry anything with us when we die. So if we have enough food and clothing, let us be what? Content. Let's, let's define contentment. Contentment means an inner peace in spite of of outward circumstances and inner peace despite all the turmoil that's going on outside of you. Well, let's flip that. If that's what that means, then discontentment would be an inner turmoil, inner toil, regardless of the outward circumstances. And so true contentment comes from what is in your heart, not what's in your wallet. 
Now, let me add that discontentment's not always bad. Our country got its, uh, its start because people were discontent with the government of England. The civil rights movement got its start because people were discontent about the situation for African Americans. And our church, New Life Community Church, got its start because some of us were discontent with the way traditional church was going. We felt this inner turmoil. We felt like there should be a church in Palestine for people who were far from God. And so we, uh, we started the church based on that. So discontentment can motivate you for good or for bad. But today I want to talk about how to handle discontentment, discontentment that leads you to do stupid things with money you do not have. Is that, a, is that something you think Americans need to hear? Not us, but other people. So I'm going to tell you and you can tell them. Um, you don't handle this type of discontentment by resisting it. You, you don't sit around and say, I don't want a new car, I don't want a new car, don't want a I don't want a new car. You don't hypnotize yourself into that. And, and you may not know this, but in the Bible, we're never told to resist temptation. We're told to resist the devil. We're supposed to flee from temptation or refocus our attention on something that's not tempting. So let's figure out how we can do this. Most of us have tried to separate religion and finances. But as we've been learning over these past few weeks, you cannot be a fully devoted follower of Christ and stay lost financially. Last week we looked at a parable about how God sees money. Today we're going to look at a parable about how most of us see money. And the question I want to ask you before we get into this passage is, why do you have so much? I want you to ask yourself, why do you have so much? Why do you have more than you need? And most, most Americans have never considered this question. Most of us want a whole, mo- whole lot more than we have, and we've always felt this financial pressure, and here's why. Most of us, here's our income and here's our lifestyle. And we allow our lifestyle to slap up against our income. And if you do this, it doesn't matter how much money you make. If you always, because you get a raise and your your lifestyle goes up against it. You get a raise, it goes up against it. No matter how much you make, if you allow your lifestyle to slap up against your income, you will always feel pressure. Now, most of you would not say that you have too much, but here's the thing. Watch this. If 95, and there are situations, I know people who are in dire straits and they need our help. And that's what the church is here for. In fact, the church is supposed to take care of the poor, not the government. But that's another story for another day. So there there are people who really need our help. But if 95% of us would ratchet back our lifestyle just a couple of notches, we would still be okay. And we would find out we have, all of a sudden, more than what we need. And our culture wants us to focus on, why don't I have more? Why don't I have as much as him? Why don't I drive what they have? Our culture says focus on what you don't have. But if you want to learn to be content, God says you need to focus on what you do have. When you look at your life, you need to ask, ask this question. Why do I have so much? And if, if there's any doubt in your mind that you have a lot, then come to our Haiti meeting next Sunday right after church. Anybody that's interested in going to Haiti, come to that meeting next week. If you go to Haiti once, you'll never come back saying, I'm poor. Because you'll meet poor people. You'll, you'll see situations that will blow your mind. I, I heard, the first time we went, I heard that it was the second or third poorest community in, in the Caribbean. If there is a poorer community than Haiti, I've not seen it. I've been to Honduras, I've been to Belize, I've been to Mexico. Um, I, there's not a, a poorer place that, that I've ever been than, than Haiti. If, you're, if you don't think you have a lot, then come go with us and, and maybe uh, you'll get a different perspective. The right question to ask today is, why do I have so much? And Jesus answers this question, and, and as usual, he's going to turn the world upside down. He's, he's pretty good at that. Now, this parable is about all of us who have more than we need. And uh, 
if you want a bigger house, here's the thing. If you want a bigger house, you eventually get a bigger house. And, and so you eventually need more income to pay the mortgage for that bigger house. But that's a, that's a need that you have created. Today, we're going to look at how we can get out of that mindset. In Luke chapter 12, starting in verse 13, Jesus is, is uh, he's been teaching a, a group of people. Then someone called from the crowd, teacher, please tell my brother to divide our father's estate with me. And, and, well, I'll just go ahead to the next verse. Jesus replied, friend, who made me a judge over you to decide such things as that? Jesus is saying, dude, that's none of my business. Why are you asking me about that? And then he appears to change the subject. Look what he says. Beware, guard against every kind of greed. Wait a minute, the question was about someone not getting their fair share. Where, where does this greed come in? And Jesus is about to define greed because greed is very difficult to see in the mirror. I can see greed in your mirror. It's difficult for me to see greed in my mirror. I can see anger in my mirror. I can see jealousy. I can see sadness. But it's very, very difficult to see greed in my mirror. You've probably never had a conversation. I haven't as a pastor. Almost 30 years in, in the ministry. I've never had a conversation where someone comes in and they go, Man, Doug, my life is so messed up and I've realized it's because I'm so greedy. Never heard that one. Anybody? No, probably not because it's very, very difficult to see. Greedy people say things like, I'm careful or I'm frugal. I'm a saver. I mean, I just tell you, I'm cheap. I mean, you know, and so I'm going to tell you that I struggle with that too. And, and the only way to deal with discontentment, the only way to deal with greed is to do things God's way. Jesus says, watch out for greed because it's subtle and it sneaks up on you in ways that you can't even imagine. We've all met greedy people, but we've already established none of those are here today. So we're going to tell them what God says. The caution is be very, very careful. We need to hear this because it's very difficult, if not impossible, to see greed in your own mirror. Now look what he says in the second half of verse 15. Life is not measured by how much you own. And then I, I looked at the uh, New International Version. It says, life does not consist in an, in an abundance of possessions. Really? Has anybody ever been to Roswell, New Mexico? In Roswell, they have a UFO museum. We were going through there years ago, and we just decided, my kids were little, we were on the way trip with the church, and we decided to stop and go in there. And it's this whole museum, and it's pretty lame. It's dedicated to all these alien things, you know, Area 51 and all this other stuff. Well, here's what I think. I think that if aliens really existed, and if they came down and they observed our lifestyle for any amount of time, I think they would conclude that humans must consume in order to live, Right? They would say, well, humans, they make money, they spend it, make it, spend it, make it, spend it, make it, spend it. And, and apparently, if they stop making and stop spending, they'll die. Because they run around like ants all the time. They go to the mall, they go to Walmart, they go to Office Depot, they go to Tractor Supply, they go to Tyler, they go to Dallas, so they can have bigger malls and biggest, bigger Tractor Supplies and bigger Walmarts and all of that stuff. And apparently, well, they'd say, well, you know, they do pause occasionally, and they stick something in this general area of their face, and then they're off again. Evidently, if humans stop consuming and they stop making money and they stop spending money, apparently they will die, right? You, you think that's what Jesus is saying? You know uh, here it's not true, but if people were to observe our lifestyle, especially here in America, they would conclude that making money and spending money has something to do with life. And Jesus is saying it's really easy to get caught up in this abundance of my possessions. Verse 16. 
then he told them a story. A rich man had a fertile farm that produced fine crops. He said to himself, what shall I do? I don't have room for all my crops. Okay, so this guy who has more than he needs, he's rich. He has more than he needs. He has a fine crop. Not an average crop, a fine crop. And apparently he has enough barns to handle an average crop, but he has a fine crop and he doesn't have room for it. He had an abundance before, now he's got an abundance of abundance. He had extra before, now he's got extra, extra. And he says, what am I going to do? I have no room for all this extra. And everyone listening to him was thinking, if you've got extra, if you've got more than you need, why don't you give some away? But see, it's very, very hard to see greed in the mirror. It's easy to see greed in this guy's mirror, but not in your mirror. He can't see it. So he makes a faulty assumption. He assumed what you and I assume, that when we have extra, it's for me. That's what he assumed. My lifestyle is chasing my income, and when I have extra, praise God, I have extra, and my lifestyle can expand. And as long as you allow your lifestyle to chase your income, you will always feel pressure. You will always feel this discontentment that God doesn't want us to have. My house is full, so my basement's full. Let's, let's get a storage unit so we can have more stuff. He comes up with a plan. Verse 18. Then he said, I know I'll tear down my barns and build bigger ones. Then I'll have room enough to store all my wheat and other goods. Good plan. This guy should write books. He was wealthy and he got wealthier. Isn't that the goal? Isn't that the American dream? I want to be like him. Verse 19. And I'll sit back and say to myself, my friend, you have enough stored away. I love that he says, my friend. I'll look in the mirror. I won't see greed, but I'll see my friend because my friend provides for me. My friend, he likes himself. You have enough stored away for years to come. Now take it easy. Eat, drink, and marry. So he pats himself on the back. Take it easy. Man, you've earned this. He planned for the future. And some of you go, wait, wait, wait. You told us last week we're supposed to plan for the future. Yes, he planned, just not far enough in the future. And you're going to see that in just a minute. Here's the fatal flaw in his thinking. Since I have X number of years of stuff accumulated... I must also have X number of years of life left. His equation was, my stuff must equal my life. My abundance of stuff equals years of life. And what did Jesus just say? That's not how the equation works. Everything was for him. And the, present, the, the problem was not that he was rich. That's not the problem. The problem was not that he had too much. The problem is not that you have too much. The problem is not that you have extra. The problem is that you and he do not know why you have extra. If we could ask him why he was so rich, he'd probably say, well, it's for me. It's for my family. It's for later. Maybe someday I might need some extra. Verse 20. But God said to him, what? Now, wait a minute. Some of us hear that and we go, I beg to differ. He's not the fool. He's the goal. He's the role model. model. He was rich. He got richer. I wanted to do what he did. What do you mean he's a fool? And look what Jesus says. You will die this very night. Remember, he prepared for the wrong future. Then who will get everything you worked for? That's a great question. Help me out. Who will get everything he worked for? Hello? Someone else. Somebody else is going to get everything this dude worked for. And I've, I've got news for you. Somebody else is going to get everything you own. Not necessarily because you're generous, but because you're dead. Right? Isn't that the way things go? 
Oh, formerly rich farmer, just as you had no control over the prosperity of your crops. He did not control the weather. He did not control the wind. He did not control the locusts or other pests. He controlled nothing. In the same way, oh, formerly rich farmer, you have no control over the years that are given to you. And this caused him to make three wrong assumptions. He assumed that he was the source of his own income. He assumed that all his extra was for him. And then he made that leap to the assumption that abundance of stuff equals abundance of years. Wrong, wrong, wrong. Verse 21. This is how it will be for those who store up things for themselves and are not rich towards God. Now, what the Bible is saying is this, and we're going to come to that word this in just a minute. We're going to define what this is. But, but this guy... Um, The same thing that happened to him will happen to anyone who stores up for themselves and is not rich towards God. Well, what does rich towards God mean? I'm not going to read it for you. You can read it later. It's in verse 33. Here's what Jesus said, and this is on your listening guide. What does it mean to be rich towards God? Give what you don't need to those who are in need. God blesses you so that you can be a blessing to others. Give what you don't need to those who are in need. To be rich towards God means I take the extra... And I put it towards what matters most to God. What matters most to God in the world are the needs of needy people and the furtherance of the gospel around the world. That's what matters to God. He says, put those, the extra into that. Jesus sums the guy's problem up. It wasn't that he was rich. It wasn't that he had extra. The problem was he didn't know why. He thought it was for him, and he missed an opportunity to be rich towards God. Now, this, this, what exactly is that word this means? Here it is. Don't miss this. The rich man, this, the rich man experienced a total loss. He lost everything that he had in this world. And when he stood before God, he had nothing to show for it in the next world. He experienced a total loss. This is what will happen to any human being who is rich in this world and is not rich towards God. He died. Everything, somebody got everything he had. He, didn't, he wasn't generous. Ownership transferred because he died. And because he was not rich towards God, he had nothing in the world to come. And Jesus talked about this a lot. When we take our extra and we put it in places that are important to our Heavenly Father, something happens and we get credit for it in the next life. And it has absolutely nothing to do with where you go after you die. It has something to do with what it's going to be like when you get there. And I don't fully understand it. I don't even know what the rewards are in heaven. Some people say they're crowns. I don't know that for sure. But God says when we take our extra and give to someone in need, He blesses us in this life and in the life to come. This guy couldn't see past the end of his life, and so he missed his opportunity to be rich towards God. When I have more than I need, I'm supposed to share with someone in need. Um, Who out there, turn up the lights, would you, Jeff? Who out there likes chocolate chip cookies? Anybody? Jackie, come on up here. You volunteered. You didn't know it, but you just volunteered. Now, everybody give Jackie a hand as she comes up here. Stand right here, Jackie. Now, come on over here in the light so everybody can see. All right. Now, I have how many cookies? Two. One. I have two cookies. How many does Jackie have? That's weird. Why, why don't you have cookies? I'm hungry. But these are mine. These are Janie's. 
She calls them mom's famous chocolate chip cookies. Anything Janie has that's good, she puts it in a recipe book that she's going to pass on to our children. Mom's famous whatever. These are mom's famous chocolate chip cookies. Y'all have had them, right? They are, ooh, they, I mean, they're, they're bloodbaths in our kitchen to get to these, especially if there's only one left. And she's like, I can make more, but we have to wait. And so, go ahead and leave those up. Go ahead and leave it. All right, you got tired, didn't you? Okay, now, you remember when you were a kid and... and you had brothers and sisters, and your parents were watching you. And, and if you had two of something, and your brother or sister had none, what was that word that your parents would say to you? Share. Share. Didn't you hate that word when you were a kid? Or when you're a parent, don't you hate it when, when somebody comes over and you're having the play date? I didn't even know what that was until we had kids, and play dates are everywhere now. But you had play date, and kids would come over, and they would play. And, and your kid would have like 12 of something, and the kid has nothing. And you're going, share! What's wrong with you? Right? And, and so, so God wants us to share but these are mine. And, and I was planning to eat this one after lunch today. And I might need this one later tonight because I like to have a snack with some milk before I go to bed. So, so what we're going to do... These are mine. We're, we're going to pray for Jackie... Because God sees her situation and God knows her needs. So let's just pray. God, I thank you I have two cookies and you've blessed me. And God, I know that you see Jackie. My friend Jackie needs some cookies. Would you send someone into her life to give her one? In Jesus' name, amen. Don't you do my cookies. Now, hang on. Imagine God sees everybody in the world who has two cookies. And he sees everybody in the world who has none. What do you think God wants us to do? He wants us to share. Here, you can have both cookies. Thank you. Thank you. Now, we need to ask, why do you have extra Now, I'm going to tell you, the Bible gives a very clear spending plan, a very clear way to to have financial peace. It's give, save, live on the rest. Give, save, live on the rest. It's real simple. And the Bible teaches priority percentage giving. And and what my family practices is give 10%, save 10%, live on the rest. So when we go on vacations, it comes out of the 80%. It doesn't come out of the 10% of savings. It doesn't come out of the 10% that goes to God. And, and if you will practice this, it will remove all of the guilt from your life. In fact, when, when uh, one day Janie and the girls were walking into Walmart, and you know, there's people always out at Walmart selling stuff. We've done that before. Actually, we did some stuff where we gave it away, and people wouldn't even come talk to us because like, we don't want to give you money. It's free. It can't be free. And we would give away stuff, you know. And, and they were like, why are you doing this? And, and that's how we got this one lady. She had a whole uh, suburban full of kids. And we walked over and gave her free stuff. And she said, why are you doing this? And, and I said, because God has given to us and we're giving to others. She goes, I know that's right, baby. And that's how we, that's how we actually got that phrase. We don't like to say amen around here because we're not traditional. So if you hear something you like, you just say, I know that's right, baby. You know, that type of deal. So we, we're a little weird around here. But um, 
when they were walking into Walmart, you know, they, they always come and, and the really, the really um, good salespeople will run up to you and say, hey, would you like to do this? And, then, and so my girl said, mom, don't you feel guilty when, when you walk by them? And, and, and Janie goes, if you knew the percentage that we give to the kingdom of God... She said, I don't feel guilty at all. We have a compassion child uh, in Africa, and, and we give to him every month. $38 is just automatically taken out every month that goes and, and pays for this kid. And, and for the last three years, we've given almost 20% of our income to this church. I, I don't feel at all guilty because we are taking what God has given us, and we're placing it in places we believe that God will bless. This year, we got five Washburns going to Haiti. And I believe God's going to provide, but I believe I've got to do some stuff as well. And, and I've got to help my girls and my wife get to Haiti. Caleb's on his own. <laughs> but, but if you're giving to the kingdom of God, God says he's going to bless you. And this roadmap of give, if you give to the kingdom of God, you put it in places that, that God blesses, then the Bible says you become rich towards God. And when you die and everybody gets all the stuff that's left here, you actually have something in heaven. People say all the time, you can't take it with you. Well, I'm going to tell you, according to the word of God, you can send it on ahead. And we looked at this parable last week where there will be people in the kingdom of God who welcome you in and say, I'm here because you took seriously what God said. Thank you for giving to the kingdom of God. So we give, we're rich towards God. We save, we're rich towards ourselves because the reason we have um, emergencies in our finances is because we don't have an emergency fund. Is something going to break down in your house? And by the way, if you come to Financial Peace University, it looks like we may have two classes now. We may do a Monday night class with no child care and a Wednesday night class with child care. Praise God, because what could the people of God do for the kingdom of God if they were debt free? If you don't have an emergency fund, you will always be slapping up against your income with your lifestyle because that refrigerator... I'm, I'm telling you, it's the funniest thing. Janie, Janie all the time says, I think our dryer is going out. Do you know when I bought that dryer? I'm not kidding. I bought that dryer in 1987. My, my washer went out a couple of years ago and I went to uh, Lowe's and I went to Sears and all these places and they go... How old is your washer? And I told them, they said, they don't make them like that anymore. And I don't know what God did to it, but God keeps that. That thing has been going for almost 26 years. My dryer, it makes a noise, but it dries. But here's the thing. I don't think that Jesus is just going to lay hands on it every day the rest of my days. I think that my dryer is about to die. And it'll go off to the great appliance graveyard, wherever that is. I think it's my dad's house, but that's another story. Um, and I'll have to buy another one. And if I'm not prepared for that, I mean, all you do is you take a little bit over a long period of time. You take 10 or $20 out and have a, have a appliance replacement fund. If you take $10 out a year after one year, how, many, how much money do you have in that fund? <laughs> it's not hard. 120 thank you. Now, just to make the math easy, let's go 10 years. Something over a thousand bucks. Okay, we're there, right? But you see what happens if you do this, give, you're rich towards God, save, you're rich towards yourself, and then you live on the rest. And, and this priority percentage giving will remove the guilt from your life. I'm not trying to guilt you at all. 
In fact, the scripture doesn't use guilt as, as a tool to motivate anybody to anything. Jesus never guilted anybody in. And I've been in churches where they stand up and they just try to guilt you and it makes me mad because that's not the way the kingdom of God should work. Now, conviction of the Holy Spirit, that's something else. If God melts through the walls you put around your heart today and you say, oh dear, I need to give, then that's, that's between you and God. Don't get mad at the preacher. But I'm telling you, we've got to have a different attitude towards our stuff because our Heavenly Father does. And if we get a different attitude, we can learn and we can prepare to be rich towards God. Percentage, priority percentage giving starts right now wherever you are. Because I'm going to tell you, people who say, there's two questions I get. Should I, should I get out of debt before I start giving to God? And my simple answer is, well, when do you want God to be involved in your finances? Before you're out of debt or after? If it's after, don't give to the kingdom of God till after you're out of debt. But I can tell you, we've had people in this church, thousands, 30, 40, $50,000 in debt, and that's not counting a house. That's consumer debt, which means you have nothing to show for it. Those meals at, at Olive Garden, you know, you have nothing to show for it, but thousands of dollars in debt. We've had people get out of debt while also giving to the kingdom of God and they would stand up here and they would tell you that's the way to do it. So you decide now because as long as you allow that, that lifestyle to slap up against that income, you will feel pressure. And God said, I didn't design it that way. If you'll follow my plans, you can experience financial peace. Let's pray together. Father, you... When Christ walked the earth, he never asked anybody for money. Yet we know that, that his kingdom was funded by people who understood things a little bit differently. And God, I'm, I'm not trying to make New Life this rich church. We're never going to be this rich church. And, and I have no intention of being rich myself more than what you've blessed me with. But I know there are people in this church that are struggling financially because they've given into this whole thing of discontent. There's legitimate need in our church, God, and I ask that you provide for them and that, you, that they come to know you as Jehovah Jireh, my provider. And it may be that you provide through some of us in the church who have more than enough. Help us to ask the question, the right question, so that we get the right answers. And God, would you, would you speak to these people about what kind of group they should be in. Some should be in financial peace. Some should be in other small groups. Some need to be in a triad. Whatever, God, I believe that you've called every one of us to be in fellowship, relationship with other believers so that we continue to grow. So light that fire underneath us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.